Okay, so like Matt said, my name is Robert. Um, I'm going to be a freshman at Wakefield. I'm really nervous, so if I mess up, just, just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> okay, so um, it's from Ephesians 4. I'm going to be reading 1 through 16. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to man. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except for that he also had descended to the lower parts of earth? He who has ascended himself is himself. Also, he has who he who ascended far above all the heavens. So what? So that he might fill all things. And, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man to the measure of, of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of, of itself in love. Thanks, Robbie. Let's have one more prayer before we jump in. Father, you, you have some things that you want to speak to, into our hearts. There's a truth locked in the words of Paul's letter to the Ephesians that you can use. We just ask that your spirit would accomplish this. God, I just, I just pray that the things that you want to say through this text are said, regardless of the words that come out of my mouth. Amen. All right. I spent last week on vacation. It's pretty awesome. Actually, uh, so we have the privilege of each summer spending a week in Connecticut at a summer cottage that my wife's family has owned for, I think, six generations. And it's this beautiful summer cottage. It's up in Connecticut, right on the Long Island Sound. It's right on the water. You look across the water and you see Long Island. Okay, there's a, there's a stone uh, beach right at the edge of the property. So when you go to sleep, you're hearing the waves crash against the stones. When you wake up, you're hearing the waves crash against the stones. It's incredibly peaceful. It's incredibly relaxing. And we have the opportunity each summer 
to go to this house on vacation. And so like anything you do year after year, traditions evolve. And so the one tradition that we have when we go to this cottage in Connecticut is this. We'll spend almost the whole week just grilling out every night for dinner. Hot dogs, hamburgers, chicken. It's just always just something on the grill. But we choose one night, one night for the week that we're up there, and we do dinner big. We do it up big time. And when you're in New England and it's time to do dinner big, you get the lobster, (laughs) right? You get the lobster. So one night... Every week, when we're, every time we're on vacation in Connecticut, we have this huge lobster feast, okay? And everybody loves this. Everybody's like, what night is going to be lobster night? What night is it going to be? Can we do it right away? Can we, get, can we just do it now? Or do we have to wait till the end of the week? It's always about lobster night, lobster night. We're going to have this big feast. Everybody's fired up about it. Everybody, except me, okay? I can't stand lobster night. Some of, you, some of you are on the same page as me, but here's, here's why I can't stand lobster night in Connecticut, because the same thing happens every single year without fail. And every year I think, oh, it's not going to happen this year. I'm going to be okay this year. And it happens, okay? We're in the middle of this lobster feast, okay? And I, you work hard, right, to break open that lobster. You start with the claws, and you get the legs, and you save the best part for last, right? That tail, that lobster in the tail, it's sweet. It's succulent, and you dip it in the butter, right? Every year, the same thing happens. I get to the tail. I get to the best part, and I open it up, and what's inside? That gross yellow stuff. <laughs> and it, it's, it's never anybody else's. Of the, of the lobsters that we go and we get, there's always one that in the tail is that yellow stuff. And I don't know what it is. If it's, I'm not even going to go there, <laughs> what it might be. But it doesn't happen to anybody else. It only happens to me every single year. It's the lobster curse. It's the Comar lobster curse. That's why I can't stand lobster night. Okay, here's the thing. I'm in the middle of a lobster feast, right? And I'm enjoying this sweet lobster meat. And it's just delicious. And I'm loving it. And all of a sudden, I open up that tail. And I see something that makes me squirm. I see something in the middle of this feast. I see something that... Shoot, man, I've been enjoying this so much. And all of a sudden, I'm uncomfortable. Because what do I do with that? I don't even think I could eat it if I washed it off. I can't separate that from my mind. So here I am in a lobster feast, and I'm uncomfortable. Here I am in a lobster feast, and I squirm. And the reason I tell you that story this morning is because my assignment this week is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And there's a chance that on first reading of Ephesians 4, verse 1, Like in the middle of a lobster feast, we can be uncomfortable. It can make us squirm a little bit. But if we do a little bit more digging, and if we wrestle with the text, I think that there's something incredibly powerful going on. Because what I don't want to happen is that we go away squirming and uncomfortable. Like we've opened up a lobster tail full of yellow yuck. This morning, my prayer is that we can see what's really going on here, what Paul is really trying to do, and God will use it for good. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 is classically known as Paul's pivot point in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians, his turn, where he spent three chapters kind of dwelling, reminding, reviewing core doctrine, foundational truths to the faith of the Ephesians. He spends the first part of the letter reviewing these things, 
describing these things. And then he turns and he pivots and he says, okay, in light of all these truths, in light of all these core doctrines, now we need to turn and now we need to talk about you. Now we need to put the spotlight on how you live as a result of this. And this is how verse one of chapter four can kind of make us squirm. It can kind of make us uncomfortable. It's like the yellow stuff in the lobster feast, right? Because here we are, Paul's talking about all this, this wonderful doctrine, these glorious truth. It's like the claw meat and the, it's wonderful. And all of a sudden he says, okay, now we need to talk about you and how you live. And that can make us squirm a little bit. That can make us uncomfortable. Paul says this at the beginning of chapter four, verse one. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Therefore, in light of all these things we've been talking about, let's talk about how you live. I entreat you. I urge you. I'm going to push you. It's uncomfortable when we're pushed a little bit, isn't it? It makes us squirm when we're pushed a little bit. That's what Paul's doing. He says, I entreat you. I'm urging you to walk. You're going to talk about how we live. I'm going to push you in the way that you live now. The way that you carry out your life in light of these core truths. The way that you conduct yourself. I'm going to urge you about these things. And I'm going to urge you to do that in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. This can make us squirm. Because there's an urging. It's about our living. And, there's a, and it's about a standard all wrapped into one idea, and that is loaded. If we dig a little bit deeper, we'll see that there's actually something much bigger going on here than Paul sending, issuing a challenge for behavior. There's something much bigger going on. So I want to talk about that. Um, Paul actually is encouraging the Ephesians and us to consider and respond according to an invitation. An invitation, an invitation. See, here's the thing. When Paul says, I want to entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. When he says calling with which you've been called, for that word calling uses the Greek word klesis. With, which actually means an invitation. And almost every time that word is used, klesis, the invitation in the New Testament, it's used regarding an invitation to a banquet or a feast. Something incredible. Something that it is a privilege to be invited to. So what Paul is actually saying is not, hey, listen, you've been, you, you've been called to be like Christ, so you better step up the way that you live and you better live according to all the rules. And you be, it's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, in light of what you've been invited to, in light of your invitation, I want to urge you to live in a manner that fits that. I want to just think about this idea of an invitation because if we can, if we can wrestle this down a little bit, one thing that will happen is it can change the way we see God here in this text because we're tempted to, on the very first reading, see God as kind of a demanding commander. Right? Paul's talking about urging and living in a manner worthy of a call. It's like, wait a minute. So what's going on? Are, is, are you being some kind of demanding commander about how I got to live and the rules I got to follow and the, the I's I got to dot and the T's I got to cross? Are you a, a commanding demander? But listen, if, if we can realize that what Paul is doing is 
he's challenging us to respond to an invitation, we can now see God as a generous inviter. Whereas once we might see God as a demanding commander, we might be able to move and see God as a generous inviter. And in fact, Jesus talked about God being a generous inviter. He told a parable about it. He told, he, he told this parable one time. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's about a ruler who puts on this huge banquet, this big party, and he sends out his servants. He says, invite, invite people all over the place. This is, what God is, this is who God is. God is a generous inviter. Okay, I want to pause and talk about invitations because here's the deal. Not all invitations are created equal. And it's our understanding of the invitation that shapes our response. Not all invitations are created equal, and it is our understanding of the invitation that shapes our response. If we're going to respond to God's invitation the right way, we need to wrestle to the ground exactly what it is he's inviting us to. Because not all invitations are created equal. For instance, we all get invited to things all the time, don't we? Some of the things we respond to the invitation with joy. Some of the things, not so much. Ladies, think about the last time that you were invited to a candle party. What went through your mind? How did you respond to that invitation in here? Not, not what button did you click on to evite? Hey, come to my candle party. I got a candle you're going to love, right? Not what button did you click on evite, but what, did, what went through your, your mind and your heart? How did we respond to that invitation? Or guys... Think about the last time you were invited to a co-ed baby shower. <laughs> yeah. Not all invitations are created equal. I love the groans. Always the same thing with the, uh, the co-ed baby showers, right? Because the, there's like a little note. It says, guys, don't worry. It's cool. There'll be beer there, right? <laughs> like that's supposed to make it awesome. It's still co-ed baby shower. Not all invitations are created equal, and it's our understanding of the invitation that shapes our response. Paul says, I want to urge you to walk in a manner of the, that's worthy of the invitation that you've been invited to. How do we respond to that? We've got to understand what we're being invited to. I was, just a quick story, why this is important. I was a youth pastor right, right after my undergrad. I was 21, 22, no, 20, 22. Graduated, moved out to Oregon to work for a church, work with the teenagers at a church. Uh, and in my second year there, I was newly married and I was busy all the time. You know, when you first start out, you just say yes to everybody. You say yes to everything. You say yes all the time. You're newly married. You're trying to figure that out. You're busy, 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 okay? In an unhealthy way. And my second year in, I was invited to one of our middle school guys' birthday parties. And I was so busy, and I had so many obligations, that I'm going to be honest, okay? I'm going to be honest. I wasn't, wasn't thrilled about this. I thought, yeah, okay, this is, this is really nice. You're inviting me to your party, but, you know... We've had something Tuesday night, we had something Wednesday night, we got something for, and we're trying to spend time with my wife. And, and here's the thing. I looked at that like a duty. I looked at it like an obligation. I looked at it like a chore. And that's kind of messed up in gen, just in and of itself. But here's the thing. I get, I get to the party, 
And it's actually not what I thought it was, and it, and it gets even worse, okay? Because previously I looked at this party like a chore, an obligation, a duty. And I go, and it's actually not like your classic middle school party. What it is is this, this, this young man had turned 13, and his parents had called a gathering, just an intimate gathering of those who had the opportunity to speak into his life, who had a, a position of influence for who he was, who he was becoming as a young man. And this was actually an opportunity for me to, to be a part of that. What a privilege. I came into this thing looking at it like a duty, like an obligation, like a chore. I didn't realize what I was being invited to. I get, I get to this event and I realize what I'm being invited to and I'm so humbled and I feel so privileged. Our understanding of the invitation is what shapes our response. And this is why Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians clearly articulating exactly what it is that they have been invited to by God so that there's no confusion, so they can make no mistake. So then he has the opportunity to say, okay, now respond to the invitation. See, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't open up his letter in chapter one, verse one and say, okay, hey guys, I've been missing you, but listen, I've heard some things and we got to talk about how you're living because you need to live in a manner worthy of the calling. He doesn't start out that way. He gets there eventually, but he spends the first part of his letter reminding, carefully teaching through so there's no confusion exactly what it is they have been invited to. And then he does this. He says, this is the thing that he prays. He says, I pray that even as I go through this, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do this miraculous work because this is what it requires. If you're truly going to understand the glory and the magnitude of what God has invited you to, it's going to require a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his invitation. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Paul says, listen, we've got to be very clear about what you're being invited to. What a privilege it is. Because actually... Previously, this is not something you were invited to, and now you are. What an honor. What a privilege. And I pray that the Spirit would open the eyes of your heart so you can see it. Here's the main point this morning. When I fully grasp with the Holy Spirit's help, when I fully grasp the glory and the magnitude of all that God has invited me to, I'm so filled with gratitude that my response to what Paul says about walking in a manner worthy of the calling with you have been called, my response is not to squirm and get uncomfortable. My response is to say, you got it. I'll walk however you want me to walk. I'll crab walk. I'll walk like an Egyptian. I'll When I fully grasp with the help of the Holy Spirit the glory and the magnitude of all that God has invited me to, I'm so filled with gratitude that my response becomes, absolutely, I will walk however you want me to walk. You think about, 
Think about getting an invitation to a dinner, like the presidential gala, right? What a huge deal that is to be invited to the presidential gala, except for the fact that you have to wear a tuxedo, right? But here's the thing. When we're so fired up about what we've been invited to, we don't fuss, we don't complain, we don't, we don't bother about the fact that we've got to go out and buy a tuxedo. We don't, we don't have to argue and haggle about having to change our clothes. I got this, I got this old V-neck t-shirt, right? Um, I'm kind of a t-shirt and jeans guy, but I dressed up for y'all today. I got <laughs> collar on. We got, actually, I got a bunch of V-neck t-shirts. One of them's turquoise, and it has, it has like three bleach stains right here, Okay but it's so comfortable and I love to wear it. Uh, Robin, my wife, hates it when I wear that, particularly when we go out to dinner because we'll go to, I mean, like we won't be going to the fanciest place in the world, but say just like a not decent place. You know, we're not going to McDonald's, right? We'll go, we'll say we're going out to Uncle Julio's or, you know, some, something like that, like a local restaurant. It's nice. You should, you should look decent, right? But I'll, I'll have this V-neck on with the, with the stain right here. And Robin says, what do you, you can't, we're going to the, you can't wear the. But here's the thing. I'll argue, I'll argue with that. Like, this is fine, actually. And most of the time when I'm staying like this, my hand covers the stain anyways. Right? Most of the time, like, this, this shirt is fine. And I'll push back on how she wants me to dress. And I'll push back on, on what I need to wear. When I'm so, but, but when I'm so fired up about what it is I've been invited to, I don't. If I'm invited to the presidential gala, I'm not going to argue about having to wear something better than that V-neck. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to wear whatever you want me to wear. I'm going to be online looking for tuxedos the very next thing, aren't I? Paul says, all right, Ephesians, in light of all this core doctrine, I'm going to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And if we miss what it is we've been called to, if we miss what it is we've been invited to, there'll be a problem. We'll squirm. I skipped this point, or this, this part, um, but I, I do want to go back to it because... The reality is Paul, and this is very important what he does, is he spends the first three chapters articulating clearly what exactly it is that they've been invited to. And I just want to review that. In fact, if you go back and you read those first three chapters through the lens of this invitation, some things will start to jump off the page at you. Like, oh yeah, he's saying this is something you've been invited to. Chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, you've been invited to stand before God holy and blameless. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, you've been invited by God to become an adopted child. Chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, you've been invited by God to receive an inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, you've been invited by God to receive and be sealed with the Holy Spirit. 2, 5, you've been invited to be made alive together with Christ. 2, 6, you've been invited to be raised up with him and to be seated with him. 2-7, you've been invited to have a relationship with God that is based on grace. 2-19, you've invited, 
You've been invited to become a citizen, not a stranger and alien. You've been invited to be a member of God's household, to be built together into a dwelling of God, to be a fellow heir, to be strengthened in the inner man. Here's what he doesn't say. He never says you're being invited to a set of rules. He never says you're being invited to a religion. He never says you've been invited to a framework for voting. He never says you've been invited to hold a ticket to heaven in your back pocket. He doesn't say those things. So here's my challenge this morning. Let's get serious about wrestling with exactly what it is that God has invited us to. And let's get serious about praying that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to really see the glory and the magnitude of it all. Think about just the very first one, chapter one, verse four. We have been invited to stand before God holy and blameless. Each one, actually, I listed 12 things before, 12 things. 12 aspects of what it is we've been invited to. Each one of those should get some careful meditation. But we don't have time for that this morning, but let's, let's, let's at least look at one. We have been invited to stand before God holy and blameless. You think about that? I'm not holy and blameless, not in any way not even close, not on my best day. God says, hey, I want to invite you, Matt. I want to invite you to stand before me holy and blameless. It's miraculous. It's amazing. Why? Why, God? Why? Because I love you. How? How does that work? Well, because my son Jesus, he was holy and blameless. And he paid a penalty that you could never pay for your lack of holiness and your lack of blamelessness. And I choose to look at you and see the righteousness of my son. What? I'll close with this. And then Pastor John's going to come up and we'll take communion. We want to encounter God and we want to make a difference in this world. You think about church history. Think about the generations of church in the past and when it has been highly effective at making a difference in our world and when it has been lowly effective at making a difference in our world. You look at the book of Acts and you see the first generation church turning the world upside down, turning society on its head by their radical living, by the manner in which they lived. They turned society upside down. What did it take? It took a deep connection and an acute awareness of exactly what God had invited them to. Because when you get it, when you realize that God is this generous inviter and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the glory and the magnitude of all that he has invited us to, our response is, I'll live however you want me to live. I will live in a radical way. I will live in a radical way. And it is that radical living, it's that Jesus living that turns society upside down. We want to encounter God. We want to make a difference in our world. This week, Every day, over and over, pray, pray, steal Paul's prayer, Ephesians 1, 18. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know the hope of his invitation. What are the riches and the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Let's get serious about asking the Holy Spirit to bring to life what we've been called to. Because the alternative is this. We don't really understand what we've been invited to and we go through life following rules, chasing a religion, going through the motions and it's all a big chore. Romans 2, Paul says this. He says, you need to know that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. But let's respond to the goodness of who God is with sincere hearts and not go through the motions, not fulfilling obligations, religious duties. But let's get serious about asking God to help us see what he's invited us to. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, just ask that you would do what only you can do and you would help us to see the glory and the hope of what you've invited us to. God, open our minds to understand the miracle of who Jesus was and what that means to our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.